Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, and welcome to the Steam Cleaners podcast presented by the Rough Drafts Podcast Network. It is an exciting time to be a fan of the Rough Drafts Podcast Network because all of the summer films have really been heating up. But here's the thing. We've got a lot of games that we've been delving into as well, uh, including one that I know my lovely co-host has been working on for a while that he's very excited to share. Uh, my lovely co-host being Walter Ciedi Svechuk. Walter, how you doing, man? Uh, I am I am doing very well. I uh, I have beaten a game that I have been playing for a while, <laughs> much longer than I anticipated. But you know, summer hits. You go on vacations. You're using your days off to like do things like I don't know, hike, spend time with your partner uh anything other than sit inside and video game and then you know you run a podcast and you all of a sudden are like crap i don't have anything else like prepared so what else can i talk about can i talk about a game that i played six years ago and would that be good enough and then finally you buckle down and you realize that you probably could have talked about this game uh last episode because you only had 15 minutes left in it um so i'm ahead of the curve now kind of yes really Meanwhile, I'm behind on that exact same curve because I've got a game that has been taking me longer than I expected um, that I'm sure anyone who is friends with me on Steam uh, has seen pop up a whole bunch of times. Um, But I, you know, I'm just very, uh, you know, there's something satisfying about finally coming to the conclusion of of a, a thing like that. You put in the time and the effort and uh, found your way to a game that hopefully justified that, Walter. Um, but before we get into that, is there anything else that's been particularly exciting in your neck of the woods? Anything you'd like to share with our lovely listeners out there? I mean, training camp hasn't started yet, so, you know, other than Josh Allen dating Haley Steinfeld, there's nothing really on uh, on the football <laughs> front um, that's all yeah. that... That like congrats to him. Congrats to him. Yeah, I mean, I, I already mentioned the Nuggets won the NBA Finals. That's been dead and gone. I'm not really into baseball, so baseball doesn't matter. Uh, the LCS, I guess the LCS is wrapping up, but I, I haven't really paid that much attention. Although uh, I do want to apologize to Chase for the absolute ass whooping that Koi took at the hands of G2. We all knew that was. I don't know what you're again. talking about. <laughs> the the summer groups have been canceled. That's what I heard. <laughs> Uh, I, I guess in wrestling, there have been a, a couple of little things. Um, uh, the bloodline has now uh, has now officially imploded in the WWE. Finn Balor and Seth Rollins are fighting forever over the world heavyweight title. Uh, and uh, Cody Rhodes and Brock Lesnar are also fighting forever over for some fucking reason other than they can't have Cody beat Roman for the universal title yet because of fucking reasons. Uh, and then in AEW, here's the crazy thing. CM Punk lost. He lost a match in the Owen Hart Memorial Tournament against Ricky Starks, who cheated to win. Uh, uh, Luke Perry's son, Jungle Boy Jack Perry, has now turned heel on uh, the human suplex machine. Taz's son, Hook, uh, is now a heel known as Jack Perry and has beaten Hook for his father's FTW title. Um... We found out that Brian Danielson had a steel rod and nine uh, screws inserted into his arm after fracturing his arm at that wrestling show that I went to. Uh, And Blood and Guts just happened. And two very, very important and eventful things happened on the show. Uh, One was the reuniting of the Golden Lovers, uh, Kota Ibushi and Kenny Omega, and uh, the much larger group, the Golden Elite, as they defeated the Blackpool Combat Club with friends uh, Kanosuke Takeshita and the Bastard Pack. Uh, And then after the show went off the air, they all like shook hands in a sign of respect because like wrestling is fake and you can congratulate your opponent afterwards because it's not real. Uh, But then Chase, you know that I love Maxwell Jacob Friedman, our AEW World Heavyweight Champion. He is a better wrestler uh, then my other wrestling love, The Miz. He he is very incredible. He is he's a great wrestler. So what's been going on behind the scenes is there has been a tag team, uh, blind tag team eliminator tournament, which basically the thought process was we're going to throw a bunch of random wrestlers into tag teams, and whichever tag team wins this tournament, they'll then fight FTR uh, for the, the tag team championships on an episode of Collision on July 29th. 
So two weeks from now, basically. And as they did this blind eliminator, you know, pulling teams together, Adam Cole had just returned from uh, just devastating concussion issues, uh, had, had won his first couple of matches back, and looked like he was about to enter into a feud with our world heavyweight champion, MJF. And Chase, wouldn't you know it, the darndest thing happened. They got what? paired together as tag mates. Huh. Yep. Interesting. Yep. I imagine they're not thrilled about that. Well, see, here's the thing. Adam Cole at first wasn't. And honestly, I don't think MJF was either. But MJF being the conniving little snake that he is decided, well, you know what? I'm going to try and pretend to be friends with Adam Cole. And they did. Adam Cole, uh, you know, MJF got shirts made for them. He's incorporated Adam Cole's uh, baby slogan into his own saying, uh, you know, we're better than you and you know it, baby. You know, trying to like incorporate themselves into a tag team. And at first Adam Cole's like, bro, you're just going to stab me in the back when, you know, the first chance you get. Uh, and then they won. So then they had to face uh, Big Bill, who was formerly known as uh, Big Cass in WWE, uh, and Brian Cage, who were together. And wouldn't you know it, they won that match with MJF body slamming Big Bill in what might be called the greatest body slam since Andre, sla uh, since Andre was slammed by Hulk Hogan. So they win that match. And then last night on an episode of Dynamite, they had their finals match against Jericho Appreciation Society teammates Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara. And two things happened, Chase. The first, Adam Cole surprised MJF with a new theme song. They did a mashup of Adam Cole and MJF's theme songs together. It's a fucking banger. It's great. Okay. And I, I'm sorry, three things happened. The second thing that happened, okay. MJF performed a fucking dive. Okay. He did a dive through the middle ropes out to the floor. And then the third thing, MJF and Adam Cole finally did their finisher, a double clothesline. And then Adam Cole was uh, grabbed the, the world heavyweight title from the ref. And as he was about to give it to MJF, he stopped for a minute, looked at it longingly. MJF turned around, saw it, and, uh, and thought and, that Adam Cole was trying to steal the belt from him. And then even though like Adam tried, like kind of convinced him in the moment, like, no, 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 I was trying to give it back to you. I was trying to give it back to you. The second Adam turned his face, MJF went back to a frown. So MJF is clearly going to kick Adam Cole in the balls during their tag team title uh, match. And now we're going to have a, a AEW title match it all in. So it's sad Perfect. because babyface Maxwell Jacob Friedman is is fucking incredible. I, yeah, I mean, I I mean, it sounds like it's going well. Like that sounds like a very interesting and fun storyline. Sounds like something you you'd be interested in tuning in each week for. Um, were we to do a sort of show around wrestling things? Um, There's a lot of narrative in wrestling. I I think we could really enhance it if we you know, talked about it for an hour. <laughs> it's very possible. I feel like my stuff's always so boring compared to like the, the wrestling stories. I've got a cool, uh, cyberpunk character I made. He's a little shit. Um, and I love him and we're going to be in a game together. So I imagine some of these intros moving forward, maybe we can share some, uh, fun moments from that game coming up since, you know, tabletop games and, and, uh, you know, uh, video games have a lot in common though i will say that the game that's most like a tabletop game uh coming out baldur's gate 3 i will never fucking play because it has 174 hours of cutscenes, and who the fuck has time for that um i am genuinely baffled i i know some people who are super hyped for it i'm sure that that level of detail is appealing to some people hi chase that sounds exhausting it oh, are you in? So here's the thing. I feel like my my uh, in-person tabletop group, we might actually stop playing in-person tabletop for a while and play Baldur's Gate. So. You, you know, all power to you. I, I genuinely wish you the best, and maybe that becomes a thing we update on as well. But Walter, Baldur's Gate 3 is not out yet, and Cyberpunk is not started yet. So we're going to have to talk about some video games that we have been playing. Different games than any other time that we've done this podcast before. So, Walter, what have you been playing? So, Chase, I have withheld the title of the game that I have been playing from you because I wanted to try and make a joke here. And here's mm -hmm. the joke, right? I'm going to give you one yeah. chance to try and guess what game I played. 
Uh, I've mentioned it multiple times on the podcast before. Do you have any idea what game I play? Walter, you know I don't pay attention to this podcast. We found that out last week, very embarrassingly, in front of our lovely guest, uh, Kristen Pignolo. <laughs> Anything that happens on this show escapes my uh, memory about 30 minutes afterwards, which is great because it means I get to re-listen to the feed and end up really enjoying our, our discussions together. But I, I don't know. I, I'm assuming it's not a wrestling thing. I can't think of... <laughs> anything else that's come up that regularly but i will feel very stupid when you say it see chase it's not a wrestling thing i promise you it is not a wrestling thing but you know i mentioned a game casually a couple of times a game that i jokingly said that you were playing specifically when you got your uh your steam gear because i knew there was no chance in fucking hell you were ever gonna play this game Ladies and gentlemen, because Chase wouldn't do his goddamn job and play God of War 2018, I did. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That was worth saving for the podcast. 100%. Oh, boy. Okay, great. God of War 2018. T- tell me about it. This is this is the one that was like the, the kind of rebuild, right? The, the remake uh, or reimagining, I should say, of the series. Uh, where Kratos tells a lot of dad jokes, am I right? Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't say he tells a lot of dad jokes, but he is, he is a dad. I would say this is the beginning of the sort of gruff dad hero, gruff dad, like gruff dad protagonist, right? That we get with The Last of Us and and a number of other things, and even in normal media, The Mandalorian. You could probably say. They came up with that idea after playing God of War 2018. And yes, this was a reimagining of the original series, a series which I had never played before. So I'm coming into this completely blind. Uh, But it seemed like a good kind of introduction into the series. And given how how widely, uh, how highly it was regarded by video game critics, by, you know, even actors and everything, and and the the performance of... um, uh, and I, f- I forget the gentleman's name who played Kratos. Uh, it, it just it won a shit ton of fucking awards and people that I respect for their video game uh, uh, reviews and, and hot takes and all that, everybody spoke incredibly highly of it. Uh, so when it came to the PC, I was like, hey, listen, man, I like Vikings and this is this is essentially a Viking game, right? Like I I get to play more Vikings. Um, And here's the problem. And I'm going to start with a problem right at the beginning because the beginning of this game took a lot of time for me to really get invested into it. I was probably about eight hours into this game and there was a moment where I was about ready to give up on it, just talk about it and be like, yeah, I didn't finish it because it didn't hook me. And the problem was is that I was looking for Assassin's Creed Valhalla in it. A a game that I, I genuinely loved and I think might be one of the the best Assassin's Creed games of all time behind Black Flag. And I wasn't finding it. I One of the things that really bothered me was that I was so used to the sort of, you know, fluidity of motion in the Assassin's, in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, how easy it was to climb up everything, how you could, you know, any tower, any tree, literally anything, if you could climb it, your character could fucking climb it. And here in God of War, I was very much restricted to these very specific linear paths where I hit one button, and then I hit another button, and then I hit another button, and there was no fluidity to it. It was very, it felt very, very choppy because I wasn't looking for god of war i was looking for assassin's creed valhalla and what i should have done in that moment was just been like abandon this game and go back and play assassin's creed valhalla but i didn't because the story finally caught me there was a there was a moment of success right that the characters had this moment of success but then also failure because what they thought they were trying to accomplish, they did, but it wasn't ultimately actually what they needed to accomplish. And there is a sense of pride and ownership and acceptance and happiness of when they finally get to the top of this mountain, and then it is completely ripped away from them when they realize that the mountain they're on is not the correct mountain that they're supposed to be on, and now they need to figure out how to get to the mountain that is actually the tallest peak in all of the realms, that is in Jotunheim, a place that has been... Um, I don't want to say banished from existence, but removed from existence because Odin is a piece of shit. 
Yeah, he sure is. Um, and that's one of the things that makes Norse mythology so fun as a place to build off of, right? Not that Greek mythology isn't. I don't want to make this a comparison game. There's room for both of them, uh, and they both have some incredible stories. But the Norse gods are particularly fun because they're all assholes. Um, and they, they have this like energy to them that makes them um, deeply compelling as, as characters. They, they have this removal from the world because they've got this like nine realms idea that they need to follow and they have this clear place where you know as long as they're uh happy on their you know valheim and and in their home they will just let chaos kind of reign and so loki can get around to just causing absolute batshit things to happen and we get the the back and forth there um so many you know so many moments of, of fuckery abound that really make um Norse mythology fun to to play around with and a different flavor of fucking around than you get from from Greek mythology. Um, I will also say just real quick because you mentioned Kratos' voice actor, Christopher Judge does a fantastic job as yes. Kratos' voice actor. Yes, and uh, there is a, a two minute long video on Polygon, and this is why I had the dad joke idea in mind, where he did dad jokes in his Kratos voice for Polygon. Uh, and it's very, very funny. If I remember, I will put it in the description of this. Um, that's where I, like, my compassion for this game is entirely based on that two-minute Polygon video from five years ago. Um, so so you said that this was a game that wasn't what you thought it was going to be, just based on maybe your Assassin's Creed experience. But the the story got you there. So... As the story developed, what kept you captivated? What kept you pushing to see it to its end, um, assuming that you you did indeed reach the end of this one? Um, what what really made it work for you? I I did beat it. I I will. I did beat the main story of the game. There was one side quest thing that I I tried to finish, but I decided it was too hard, and I didn't want to grind my face into it for multiple hours. Yes, I'm talking about the, the Queen of the Valkyries fight. And yes, I was doing this all on easy because I am old. I do not have time to actually spend playing video games on difficult settings. Um, so the the thing is, is that this is this is it's a father-son story, right? The 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 essence of the story is that uh, Kratos's wife and Atreus's uh, mother Faye has died, and that her final wish is that her ashes were scattered. Uh, from the, ta the t tallest peak in the realms, right? And it's very specific that you have to say realms, not land, because ultimately that is the moment that really captured me and dragged me into, I don't want to say dragged me, but pulled me in and convinced me to go, is this moment of realization that the mountain they've been climbing and that they've been overcoming these obstacles to get to the top of that is in Midgard is not the tallest realm, is not the tallest peak in all of the realms. That peak is in Jotunheim. And Jotunheim has been severed from the rest of the realms for some reason. And I know I joked and said, oh, it's because Odin is a bastard. Well, it's kind of because Odin is a bastard, but there's other reasons that I don't want to really get into because I don't really want to spoil the game because I think it is incredibly worth playing. That's a spoiler for my, you know, end thoughts on the game. And <laughs> it is this play back and forth of the very gruff, warrior that is kratos that if you ever were like man if there's a dude that shouldn't have a child it's motherfucking kratos like mm. he kills zeus he kills his dad like he is i would not trust this man with a child but here he is bringing his son on this quest and as you're doing it early on he is he is very much treating his son as a child his his, his child has some sort of disease or some sort of sickness which I guess I'll say spoiler alert, is in fact, you know, like Kratos' Spartan rage. So that when Atreus gets very angry, he's like overcome by that Spartan rage. But because he has not been trained in the ways of the warrior and he's not an adult like Kratos essentially is, it it's debilitating. It is a sickness. It is not a power that is being used. It is a temper tantrum that the child can't control and then 
just devastates him physically. There is a point where he is overcome by the Spartan rage and he falls so sick that Kratos has to leave him behind with a, the Witch of the Woods so that he can go find ingredients to make a, a potion, a tonic, a medicine of sorts to assist his child in coming back uh, before he perishes to just... The pure anger that he feels, the pure rage that is coursing through his body, uh, because apparently you can die to just the the essence of pure distilled rage. That's something I didn't know was possible, but I guess in, you know, mythology and in, you know, a video game, uh, it's a plot point. Uh, and it's a good plot point because it makes you care about the child and makes Kratos care about his son. Yeah, it's interesting because it's the... Uh, exact opposite of uh, the uh, barbarian that uh, Kristen, a uh, friend of the podcast, uh, has played in the past, who was just too angry to die. Um, that's always like like the the kind of rage mentality that you'll sometimes see in those tabletop games. But this, like you know, emotions being this thing that can be manipulated and uh, ultimately like taken advantage of, I think is always something that's fun to play around with narratively, right? He, he is his father's son and that he has this thematic resonance and these maybe clear, you know, problems that he has inherited is this trait towards anger, but he doesn't know how to embrace it or roll with it the same way, or maybe isn't capable of uh, utilizing it this way because of, you know, some difference, you know, maybe his mom's influence or whatever it ends up being. I, I don't know. So I can theorize, even though you're obviously, uh, keeping it on the, the DL for those of you who are going to end up playing later. Um, but it certainly creates a really captivating story inherently, right? You, you're, you want to protect the kid. Uh, you want the kid to be okay. Um, and you want to um, make sure that you can help them navigate these kind of tougher issues. And, and um, the kid wants to help you, right? This isn't just a... This isn't a uh, you know, Obi-Wan Disney Plus series where it's like, oh, you got to rescue the kid and get him back to their family. This isn't a an escort quest. This is a, you are doing something as together as a family because you are fulfilling the last wish of someone that you are grieving. And there are multiple times where Atreus asks, asks Kratos, can I carry her? Carry the ashes of his mother, right? It's not just that it's Kratos's wife. It is Atreus's mother. And Kratos is like, no. Because he doesn't trust his son to to fulfill the task, but the game mechanics themselves, he is assisting you, right? There there are multiple different game mechanics uh, from him. He he has a bow, so he will fire arrows at, uh, at, at enemies you're fighting, or he has a couple of different game mechanics where uh, one is that he can fire uh, his blue arrows. Uh, at blue at these crystals and they will activate the crystals and they will either you know create bridges or they might activate machinery or things like that or he has yellow arrows which uh when he fires them at enemies will stun them and will you know splash lightning damage and then mechanically there are these uh there's tree sap from the world tree and these arrows when it comes in contact with the sap will explode and Again, this is part of that, you know, very just kind of stereotypical, like Metroidvania style of gameplay where it's, well, certain areas are hidden behind, are, you know, closed because of certain abilities and, and you know, all these things like that. Um, and there are, you know, times where you can't access a certain area because the passageway is too small, but Atreus can. And then he'll go through and he'll, you know, activate what needs to be activated or knock down a rope to you or things like that. So that mechanically he also is feeling included, but... All of this is about this relationship between a father and a son, a father who has been incredibly distant, not absent. This isn't a he didn't know he had a kid or anything. They lived together, but is incredibly distant and is more served. I feel like served more as a guardian of the household than he did as a, you know, a husband or a father necessarily. And the son that is trying to do anything to make a connection with the last person that exists in his world because it's not like Kratos was living in a town someplace, right? It's not like they had neighbors or friends. They were living in the middle of the fucking woods by themselves. So there is this very... 
I, there is this desire for connection from the son to his father and there is this deep urge to protect his son from this father and they are at polar opposites for a large majority of the story and it's not until secrets become unsecreted and that sort of headbutting begins to shift into understanding that they really make any headway on what is ultimately their quest to go to Jotunheim, to go to the tallest peak in the realm, and to release Faye's ashes. And there's something just so incredibly beautiful about that journey. And once that once that that friction starts to fade a little bit and you start to see the connections really form, that's what caught me. And that's what carried me through the end and and got me to go, this isn't about the gameplay. You know, this isn't about the hack and slash stuff because at its core, that's what the game is. It's a hack and slash. It's just like the older God of War games in that, in that manner. But there's this very intricate and emotionally charged story that is taking place around that gameplay. Yeah, and it feels like a very good mix for what the gameplay is trying to uh, accomplish, right? Having that, like, the son who is wanting to help, as you said, and putting in, like, this, like, putting himself in danger, which means that, um, you know, Kratos has to learn to let go and let his son be in danger in a way that probably will remind him a lot of himself, but uh, in a way that he's probably not particularly comfortable with. Um, that's always interesting storytelling. And it's always something that um, I think cre creates a lot that will keep you invested, as you put it. Um, I don't want to delve too much more deeply into that because it does seem like um, you want people to play this for yourself themselves. And so uh, I think that setup gets them what they need to know on that front. But I do want to revisit the gameplay part because you mentioned the comparison to Assassin's Creed Valhalla kind of to say that it didn't have the comparison that you were expecting it to um, when you initially went into it. So how did you feel about the gameplay once you'd kind of adjusted from that initial expectation into what it was presenting to you? So it's not the fault of the game, right? The fact that it's not Assassin's Creed Valhalla, it, it doesn't ever pretend to be. It doesn't ever like try to trick you by pretending to be Assassin's Creed. It is from moment one, it is, okay, well, you can only climb the cliffs that the game allows you to. There is no freedom of movement. There is very linear paths. Despite it having an open world hub sort of aspect to it, you are still limited by the pathing and the, the creation of paths that the developers intended. Um, I mean, I played Assassin's Creed and I didn't play it as it really is an assassin for all that much. I did play it quite often as hack and slash. Um, and it, it's not that... It's not that this game didn't match Assassin's Creed. It was that my expectations were not correct for going into this. I went, oh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is a Viking-oriented, you know, that's, the, that's sort of where it's set in, and you get to be a Viking. And I went, well, God of War is set in, well, I get a Norse kind of setting, but I disconnected the mythology part of it of, no, 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 it's set in North mythology, so it's clearly going to be different than Assassin's Creed. There is no Spartan rage in Assassin's Creed. There is no, mm -hmm. I'm going to throw off all my weapons and just punch somebody to death in the face because I'm too fucking angry to die. That doesn't exist in Assassin's Creed. And I did enjoy all of those things. I enjoyed the actual combat. I enjoyed the, the abilities that you would add and, and you know the difference between having uh, phase axe, which is your initial weapon in the game, and then when you eventually have to unlock the the um, the the double blades. The I, I don't know what exactly what they're called again because I don't have a ton of um, of God of War specific knowledge, but get the iconic like chain blades that Kratos has, and both of them are very very different and very uh, complementary combat styles and then you're adding on top atreus in the background of the different things that he can do and equipping him with an, abil an ability and that part of the gameplay was all great 
I enjoyed all the combat parts of it. I even enjoyed the puzzle solving. There were a couple of puzzles that I did end up looking up because I was just like so frustrated and it was like, well, I can't move on leaving this here because I know I have to solve it. So I'd look up a few of them, but the puzzles, the ones I figured out on my own, I was like, oh, that's fucking clever. The problem that I had was until I got Assassin's Creed out of my head, I would hit these cliffs and go, why can't I just climb up in one motion? Why do I have to hit button and then move my camera and then hit button and then move my camera and then hit button and move my camera and it's well because they designed it that way like it's developed that way on purpose because this isn't assassin's creed this is you're not this you know assassin that can climb all these cliffs and these buildings and everything with ease you are fucking kratos like you are muscle and anger and rage you are not lithe and quick you are pure strength so of course you're going to lumber up a cliff face. It's not going to be, you know, quick and easy for you. It is going to be slow and methodical. Um, and, and once I, once the, the story got me away from Assassin's Creed and was like, no, 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 this is a separate thing. Please allow it to be a separate thing because you want to finish it. Then the movement stuff didn't really, I, I didn't complain about it anymore. And instead I was enthralled in the story and, you know, trying to get to the ending and figuring out exactly how to get into Jotunheim. And then, well, why was Jotunheim separated from everything? Well, is it that Odin is just mad and he broke the bridge? Or, oh, no, it's not actually that. Well, what's Thor's place in this? And who is the witch in the woods? And then all these questions started getting answers and, and the mystery started unraveling. And the gameplay became secondary to it. And I could ignore the nits that I had been picking early on because the story was so engaging and the combat I was enjoying so much. And I mean, I'm, I'm once you find a rhythm with a game like that uh, and it can click with you, it really does make all of the difference in the world. Is, is there anything that you, like having played it now for as, as long as you did to, to finish it, that you would like, I guess, I guess it's weird to ask you if there's anything you'd like to see in the next one, given that it, the next one came out in 2022, but I guess, is there anything you're hoping when you get to the 2022 uh, sequel, assuming that you are going to play that at some point? Uh, yeah, I, I very much want to play the sequel. Um, I, I'm pretty sure it's on PC. I, I'm pretty sure I can get it, but if it's not on PC yet, I have to wait for it to come to PC because I'm not going to buy a PlayStation 5. I, I'm just not. That that There's no point. Um... I, no, because I just want to, I want more of the story. Like where, where it ends, right? We, where the main story ends is such a great ending. It is a great end of a movie. Uh, funnily enough, it is, it is much like Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. <laughs> In that it is very much, you could have ended this, you could have ended the game right there and not, and there's no Ragnarok, there's no next game. It's just that game right there. And, like, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger, but you would have been content. You would have been like, wow, that was a really fucking good 25 to 30 hour experience. Or they've given you enough of kind of a cliffhanger that you're like, cool, now I want to see what part two is. Now I want to see what Ragnarok covers. I want to see the next part of the story. Uh, I, I am fascinated to see how they build upon what they placed in this game what new abilities features weapon you know whatever how do they add more to atreus now that he is starting to like grow up and he has been given you know the secrets that kratos has been hiding from him and he sort of discovered his kind of place in this in this world and in the mythology that's happening around him what enhancements do they make to those things uh and then just please have there be an easy mode because I, there were times where easy mode felt complicated and, and kind of difficult and frustrating. And holy fuck, I don't understand how streamers and other people play this game on like expert levels because I, I'm just, I, I don't get it. I don't know why you do that to yourself. It's the, it's the fucking Dark Souls thing of, I mean, hey, if it's fun for you to bash your head into a wall for 40 hours so you can go 100 yards go for it but that's just not my ish and i i hope yeah. that it's easy enough on easy mode that i can experience the story because that is truly where this game shines i am definitely um glad that we're on the same page on the whole easy mode is cool actually like don't get me wrong there are some games in which challenge can be fun and i i i typically like there's there's a healthy balance to be found in a lot of different games but ultimately if i'm there to just have a good experience i don't need for the game to beat my face in for me to have a good time. I, I just need it to um, get me to the places that I'm having the most fun with it. Um, so, you know, that's, that's always one of those things where I, 
I, I am fully in agreement with you, and I, I hope that they're able to find the balance that, that uh, you're looking for there. I mean, I, I, this almost feels like a silly question, given everything we've talked about, but uh, is it safe to say you recommend this game? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't care if you don't have any interest in, in God of War, if hack and slashes really aren't your thing. The, there is a reason that this game won so many fucking awards. For, for game of the year, for storytelling, for art, for, you know, for uh, Chris Judge's performance, all of these things. There, there's a reason that this game is so widely beloved by critics and, and by, you know, non-critics alike. There is a really good story here. And if you have ever had, you know, problems with your you know relationship with a parent, it, it's going to tug at some strings and it's really going to kind of like remind you that, you know, you don't get to where you are now without work, right? Without working and fixing problems and, and your parent, you know, letting go and understanding you're not a child anymore and that you are capable on your own and that you are going to have to make your own mistakes. And then you as a, you know, you as a child, or, or maybe even at this point, you know, I'm 31, like some of, some people my age have kids on their own, like, but as a child, understanding that like your parents are ultimately trying their best because nobody wrote uh, a handbook on how to take care of kids. Or if they did, it's probably because they were trying to convince those parents to join a cult or something. Like there is no mm -hmm. handbook on how, how to raise a kid. There is no right or wrong answer uh, ultimately on how to raise a kid. And, and it is this balance of a parent letting their kids make their own mistakes and learn because your job as a parent is to prepare them for their adulthood and as a kid, understanding that sometimes your parents do know better than you, um, but you should also be allowed to to have your own freedom of expression and your own identity and personality and things like that. But yeah, absolutely. Fucking play this game. Throw it on easy mode. Play it for the game. Be, play it for the story because it is a it is a fucking beautiful story and I can't recommend it highly enough. And... I'm so glad I finally beat it because it's taken yeah. me months. I I am glad that you enjoyed it. I I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing I would absolutely love. Uh, a game that takes me months is something that I'm going to have to be careful about signing up for, just given my schedule being what it's been recently. But oh boy, do you make it tempting. Um, also, with, as soon as you mentioned the whole you don't have a, a book for... Uh, raising a kid. I just got a flashback to one of my favorite Calvin and Hobbes arcs of all time. And now I want a modded version of it where uh, the kid is Calvin and uh, Kratos is replaced with Calvin's dad. And I think it mostly holds. I think given their personalities, I think it could hold. And I would like to play it. Um, anyone out here is better at coding than me. That, that would be a fucking incredible mod. I, I feel like I've seen somebody make that like comic... Like, just even if it was a single pain before, I think I've seen that. But that's, like, that's a fucking brilliant idea. I, I don't think that this game really allows modding. But that's a brilliant idea. <sighs> but Chase, obviously because you didn't do your fucking job and play God of War 2018 <laughs> on your Steam Deck. <laughs> what did you play this week? Well, so here's the thing. I mentioned last time when we were talking about the Frog Detective trilogy, which is still great and everyone should go play it. Um, listen to last week's episode with Kristen to, to learn why, I mentioned that there was a game that I was originally going to talk about on that episode that I put to the side because Frog Detective. Um, it was the game that was meant to be the follow-up to my kind of talking point that I built, my thesis statement uh, for Super Mega Baseball 4, which is that some games would benefit uh, from giving themselves just a little more time in the kiln. Uh, that, you know, you don't have to do early access for everything. Um, but maybe there are certain features that if you don't have, you can wait until you have them, and it'll be fine, actually. And you'll be better off for it. Um, and my second pick for this is probably an unconventional one. There are going to be some people who've played this game who are going to look at me like I'm a crazy person for saying it. But I'm going to be talking about Wild Frost today, and I'm going to explain my reasoning when we get there, because it all comes down to one big thing that ultimately held this game back until a recent patch, um, which has now been fixed, for the record. Now it, only, now it, it becomes a much easier uh, conversation of whether you would be interested or not. But 
Um, it took a little bit for me to get there. What do you know about Wild Frost, Walter? What's your, your entry point here? Well, Chase, I'm looking at this, and I'm looking at the uh, the Steam posting, and I see a tactical mm-hmm. roguelike deck builder. Which Yeah, if, interesting. If, if that doesn't immediately <laughs> translate to, Chase Wassener is going to play this game, uh, I don't know what does. Look, I'm a simple man. I have my tastes. I enjoy spending time with them. We have a limited amount of time in this world, and I like to play the things that uh, immediately click with me like that. And Wild Frost is a game that... As soon as I saw RT Game had a video on it, I, I didn't watch RT Game's video, and in fact, I still haven't, because I saw it and I was like, I want to play it. Because uh, how could you not? It is a, such a cute and fun art style. You're Essentially, you have your tribe leader, you are going out into the wilderness alongside a pet companion that you get to take with you. Um, you are constantly trying to push forward deeper into the mountains, and ultimately try to bring back the sun. The wild frost has occurred because the sun disappeared due to some magic bullshit that I will admit I have not fully figured out uh, for reasons that I'll get to later. Um, But ultimately, it is a game, like, it's colorful, it's bright, the characters have personality to it, both the allies and the enemies. Um, It's got three different factions, kind of like Slay the Spire when it initially launched, um, that each have their own kind of archetypes to them. But rather than each faction having one singular leader that you can always rely on, you have a base deck, but your leader is different each time. It's randomly chosen among a few different archetypes. Um, And once you unlock all three factions, you'll usually have one option of each that you can kind of choose from. Um, and, And each has their own kind of playstyle to it, right? Um, you have the Snow Dwellers, who are kind of your, your basic faction. They have a lot of healing, they have a lot of freezing, um, trying to, you know, either lower the enemy's attack or uh, preventing their uh, countdown, which essentially uh, attacks happen rather than when you uh, immediately play them. Uh, your characters have like a regular thing where every X number of turns their attack will go off. Um, using whatever uh, ability is tied to that. Um, so, for example, a, a common Snow Dweller leader um, has a counter of four, so every four turns their ability goes off. It has two attack, but it attacks twice. Uh, it applies a snow, which freezes the enemy for one turn, uh, and it has aimless, which means it can hit anyone in the row and you don't get to choose uh, who gets affected by it. So you can immediately see a lot of different Ways you can buff that character up, right? By getting these things called charms that you get over time. Ways to increase the attack so that you're doing more damage. Uh, ways of increasing the snow so that you're getting more utility out of it. Um, the, the big key is that kind of like Monster Train, you've got two paths and they, you can have at most three different um, uh, creatures or, or followers there with you on them. Uh, and if your leader dies, you lose the fight. Um, It does not matter if you still have other people willing to fight for you. The leader has to make it to the end, Um, which means that you have to spend a lot of time trying to protect them and adjust to all these other things that they're doing. Um, The Shademancers are much more of like your your, your shadow magic types, um, killing things in order to give buffs to other things, which is a very dangerous game because uh, if a unit ever dies in two fights in a row, they're gone. And even if they only die in one fight, the next fight, they come back injured, which gives them half health and cuts their attack in half. It is a huge detriment to lose someone uh, to a single battle, let alone two. Uh, Luckily, you have the ability to shuffle them back into your deck to give them some health points back. But sometimes you just have to sacrifice people, and it means that in the next fight, you're going to be weaker, at the very least, Hope you built a replacement that you have in the sidelines who can come in for that next fight, because otherwise you're going to have a weak unit that is also susceptible to just fucking dying. But Shademancers have a way around that. They can summon spirits that have uh, temporary health and and come up regularly so that there's no permanent uh, effect if they were to get taken out. Uh, And they have some things called, like, uh, I think it's the Everburn. Um, It's it's the flame icon, and basically it says that if the health... Uh, of a character ever gets uh, at or below the uh, the damage that you have listed there, they will explode, and anyone in their lane will take that amount of damage that you built up there. So it's kind of like a, a ticking time bomb waiting to happen. 
Uh, and then the clunk masters who have this stuff called junk. Uh, and you have ways of buffing this, like it's standard does nothing. It's like a one mana card to accomplish nothing, but you can make it stronger or you can have cards that if you target it with junk, they'll get stronger and you can kind of build these things up over time. You'll have cards that are very powerful, but require you to spend a certain amount of junk in your hand. And you'll have cards that allow you to generate junk more easily. Um, so they each have this kind of ebb and flow to them. And then no matter which one you pick, you have a sequence of allies, these pets uh, that you can always pick with you, uh, including, and I'm going to just send one because I could send all of them and they'd all be good. But uh, you need to see uh, my boy Snoof here, Walter, because Snoof is a very good boy. Um, and he's there from the very beginning and he wants nothing more than to help you on your little frost journey. So, um, all is, hail Snoof. That is a good boy. That is a good snow cone dog. Overburn. That was what I was thinking. Not Everfrost. It's Overburn is the explodey one. Um, I always try to make it work, and sometimes it does. Um, but yeah, it's got a good, like, kind of mix of, of archetypes to it. Uh, and a lot of the events along the way are the kinds of things that you would expect if you've played a Slay the Spire, you've got battles and then your bosses, one boss per phase, and you've got three phases. Uh, you've got treasure cards that can give you cards. You've got frozen travelers that give you a companion. Uh, charms can give you some random charms that you can uh, you know, potentially buy from the shop. Um, the shop allows you to buy cards, crowns. Um, crowns, by the way, giving you the ability to start with a unit at the beginning of the game or start with a card in your hand guaranteed which gives you some reliability in your play. Um, munchers remove cards. Shade sculptors let you duplicate cards. Um, charm merchants are like shops, but specifically for charms, and they have better stuff available. And then the gnome traveler, which uh, gives you free stuff, but also gives you some junk along the way, which uh, if you're playing with the uh, crafting class is actually really, really good. So... That all sounds great, right, Walter? That's your standard card game affair done with a cool art style and, and some good sound design? Yeah, no, a absolutely. I, I I mean, the game says, oh, is it relevant to you? Games uh, similar to games you've played, Slay the Spire. Like, absolutely. I definitely get the Slay the Spire uh, comparisons here. I have not played um, Monster Train, so I'm, I'm going to, you know, accept that that's a comparison. I'm also getting Guild of Dungeoneering vibes from this. Um, just okay. as a like colorful, like, I think it's the art that because the art is so kind of different, um, from anything I've ever played. Like, I think that's why it sticks out, and that's part of why it's like Guild of Dungeoneering, because Guild of Dungeoneering is such a unique art style. Yeah, and if this podcast existed five years ago, Guild of Dungeoneering would have been one of the signature episodes because I spent so much fucking time in that game. No way. I know you're shocked. I'm really so out of surprised. character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So you're probably waiting for the butt at this point, given the thesis statement that I started with. Yes. So, so what needs to be improved, Chase? Well, so one of the... Th there, there are two things I'm going to say here, one of which has been improved and one of which I think is just the design like the, the game design that the developers have in mind for what the game should be and that's going to be where your mileage varies now but let's start with the one that i think you just game should have had at launch you know how in slay the spire walter you can see above your character what's going to happen to you on your turn yes because you know it's important to be able to see at an immediate like here's what you need to plan around uh, and that information being communicated to you so that you're not trying to do a bunch of math in your head or not trying to think about how all these um, abilities can combine with each other, especially when you've got a multiple lane system in which it's not always clear which unit is going to activate before another unit on the enemy side. It would be really frustrating if you didn't have anything that indicated any of this information to you beyond having a perfect understanding of how the game mechanics worked while you were learning the game, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, part part of the reason I I do sometimes enjoy playing Slay the Spire is uh, you know going uh, if you go Ironclad and you want to do a block build, it's nice to be told. Well, they're gonna deal thirty damage to you, so I can go. Well, I'm gonna put sixty armor up. Yeah, and every and every game in the genre does this, right? Across the Obelisk does this. Monster Train does this. Any like any pure card game roguelike I can think of. Even the fucking, like, uh, god, the, the mental, uh, health one that I hated. Neurodeck. Um, even that one told you what was going to happen to you on your turn, because card clarity is so important, especially when you're learning a game. And it didn't exist for this. It just wasn't there at launch. Um, they've now added a thing where you can, like, hover over it, and it'll give you a general idea of how things will break down, but... You were flying entirely blind for the first month and a half to two months of this game's existence. Which is tough already if you're not the kind of person that immediately grasps some of these concepts. But it is made a lot tougher when the other part of this game that I struggle with... Walter, this game's really fucking hard. Like, it's really fucking hard. Like, I play these games all the time. This is my genre. This is my shit. I pride myself on being able to beat all of these games to a reasonable degree. I'm not, like, level 20 on Slay of the Spire Ascension or whatever, but, like, I'm good at card games. I'm willing to say that about myself. And this game took me 35 hours before I think I got my first win. And I say first win as if I've had a second win, and I have not had a second win. I have had one win. It took me at least 12 hours before I beat the first boss, because the dynamics are just different. And if you don't know what to look for, if you don't understand how all of these things interact, you just, you just don't know that there are certain things that you need if you're going to survive. If you don't have someone that can tank up hits, it does not matter what else you have. You're going to die because enemies are going to do damage to you. There's no build that allows you to get attacks off quickly enough for it to matter. Uh, and it's going to be a problem. If you don't get cards with enough crowns early to build a starting place that allows you to stabilize and, and, and kind of maintain board control on a very early rate, you're fucked. Because you only have a certain amount of cards that you can play every turn. And if you're playing cards to get the board and then having to wait for the counters to tick down for anything to happen with them, let alone for the setup cards that you need in order to get the most out of those companions, you're fucked. Game over. You've lost. You're already too late. You're too slow. Um, which means that you have to know like when to get coins because there are certain credit thresholds that you need to have in order to buy these things. You need to have as many companions as you can because those are the only things that can block your hero and you need to accept that much like uh, in, you know, chess sometimes, right? Like you have, you need to sacrifice pieces in order to gain advantages somewhere else on the board. If you don't have the ability to sacrifice companions in order to gain enough of an advantage to escape that fight and get on to the next one, there are just some fights where you're just going to lose. You're just going to lose because it's not built for anything other than a perfect deck to beat. And then when you finally got it all figured out, it's come together for you, Walter, and you know, you know, um, that you that you know how these cards interact with each other, and you know what you are looking for. Um, you beat it, and then you get back to the final boss, and the next time you fight the final boss, they have upgraded versions of the cards you used to beat the boss the first time. So you not only have to be stronger than than the boss. You have to be stronger than the version of you that was strong enough to beat the boss. It's so fucked. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, and I, I want to make a, a quick correction because I over-exaggerated the amount of time I've played in this game. It felt like 30 hours for me to finally get a win. It was actually 13, um, which means I probably beat the first boss in about 6 to 8, um, and the second boss at about 10 to 12. Um, but it felt a lot longer, I'll tell you what. If I, I genuinely thought that I had put that many hours into the game because I had just spent so much time banging my head into a wall trying to get what the game wanted from me. And, you know, once you figure it out, right, like, there is a flow to it. There is 
some brilliant design stuff and some ways of categorizing certain things that do feel satisfying, but there's stuff that you just need to have. There's there's not a lot of like while there are certain different archetypes within like a similar faction, there are certain ways in which a deck has to be built in which if you don't have them, you might as well just start over. And I have not been in the game more than once, and I don't know when I'm going to go back to it because it's fucking hard. And I just, I don't want to subject myself to that compared to other games that I'm playing. Uh, it can tell me that there's endless replayability, but I know what's waiting for me at the end, and it's going to kick my fucking ass. So, I don't know. It's probably better now that I can, you know, hover over a button and see what I'm about to do. Like, that's good. I'm glad that finally I have that feature, and I'm glad that they put in the time to get it there, because otherwise, what the fuck? But... Yeah, that that was that's gonna be that's gonna be my question about the difficulty. Is it that because there is this lack of readability essentially on what is happening, both on your side of things and uh, your your opponent, what they're gonna do to you? Is that is it just that the game doesn't give you enough information, so you're sitting here scratching your head wondering if the play you're making even accomplishes anything, or is it just the game is just fucking hard because it's fucking hard? I mean, certainly when I was playing it originally, um, and part of the reason that I, I had such a hard time with it at the start, was that there was a visibility problem. There was a clear visibility problem, and it's something a lot of people complain about, and they added in their first post-launch update, which I'm glad they did. Shout out to uh, the developers of this game for being willing to listen to people on that um, and get that, uh, get that out there, because it was definitely necessary. Um, but the other part that's tough about this, it's just not nearly as intuitive, I think, as other card games out there. And that's not to say bad, because I don't want people to come away with the idea that it is a bad game. It is a hard game, and purposefully so, because it has all of these interlacing pieces that until you figure out the puzzle... Trying to balance all of them feels impossible. Um, there, I think it, it, it is the combination of the monster train element of having multiple uh, floors that you need, like these multiple lanes that you need to adjust to, and things that affect multiple people in a lane at a given time, and, and how you balance this kind of mixture of abilities. That's certainly a part of it. Um, I think another part of it is the countdown mechanic because it is guaranteed at a certain rate that things will happen, but that rate is relatively irregular. It's it, There's a like rhythm that you have to get into, and the rhythm is different for every fight, and there are a lot of ways in which that rhythm can be adjusted, which means that you're constantly having to adapt on the fly in order to make that happen. And there's just a lot of economy management. Like, you need certain things in order to make it work, which means that if you don't know what those things are, good fucking luck. And I don't think that's true in Slay the Spire, right? Like, Slay the Spire, there are certainly relics that make it easier for you, but I've seen people win a Slay the Spire run without any relics at all because they got the cards that they needed, or, or people that have, like, removed as many cards as possible from their deck, but they had the relics that they needed. Like, there are whatever resources you have because it's a pure card game and you're always drawing a hand of cards and playing off of that you don't have that board mechanic that you need to balance and in monster train the board mechanic is balanced by the fact that everything is very determinate it happens every turn you know exactly what it's going to be and you have multiple ways of influencing that in a way that is very direct there is a cause and there is an effect and you know that every turn the monsters are going to try to get one level up on the train. So you can prepare, like you see someone about to enter in, and you know that they're entering, so you know what the first turn you need to prep for is. But you know once they hit the bottom of level floor of the train, it's like, okay, well, I can kill these things, and I have the information that the game displays to me, so I know what's going to die. But these guys are going to continue to remain a threat. So what do I put on the second floor that deals with that? And if I can't deal with them on the second floor, what can I put on the third and top floor to make sure that they're not attacking my base? And that base has a health meter, which it can survive quite a few hits. It's not a one-and-done 
kind of situation. Though, of course, as you get further on, the the like amount of damage they can do escalates quite quickly, and you're going to really regret some of that earlier chip damage. But in Wild Frost, you have one leader, and that leader does not have a ton of health. Like, the leader is not like someone who has twice as much health as the average unit. It's just a unit. It's just a unit that can't fucking die or you lose. And so if you go up against an enemy that's buffed itself up for whatever reason, uh, through whatever mechanic is there, and you don't have enough units to shield your leader, you're just done. It's over. Um, you didn't build your board fast enough. Sucks to suck. And, you know, there are a certain percentage of people that are going to love that, right? Who are like, oh man, I have been salivating at the bit for a game that is genuinely hard in this genre because I feel like I understand all of these different elements. Um, and, you know, I, sure, I, I, I recognize that there is, a, um, there is an element to that. But I, I think it says a lot that when you look at, like, the Steam most helpful reviews, a lot of people are like, look, the design is great. Uh, the the um, game is gorgeous. Like, there's a lot of mechanics that are interesting once you figure out how they work. But the complexity makes it punishing and unforgiving. If you fuck up, you're done. And I've never played a card game that is less forgiving than Wild Frost. And maybe that's appealing to you. If you want the Dark Souls of card games, but with a much more oh. fun aesthetic. Oh, why did you say that? I, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I'm, I'm like, I, again... I, I've invested 13.6 hours into this game. I, I beat it once. I probably have to spend another 10 to beat it a second time because I not only have to be as good as I was the first time, a thing I've only done once, but I have to beat all of the units that I last fought. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I get to the boss and if I beat a couple of them, then they're not there anymore in the future. All I know right now is that I have a fucking telescope that allows me to see them and they're just waiting for me, menacingly. And they absolutely kicked my ass the last time I tried. So, all of this is to say that um, when I've been looking for a roguelike game, for like a nice, let me just do a run at the end of my day because I don't have a ton of time, but I'd like to make some progress on a thing. It's not been Wild Frost. Wild Frost stresses me out, man. Um, it, it looks cute and colorful, and it is. But it's fucking hard. Um... So I still play Renowned Explorers Adventure Society because it, it is a lot more clear with what it is trying to be. Um, so I don't know. If you like really hard games, that's going to decide whether you like Wild Frost. No. <laughs> it's, oh, I, like, mm, see, I... So prior to you starting to discuss the second main issue, I hit add to wishlist because I'm like... This, this fucking looks dope. Like, I like Slay the Spire. I like... And then you start talking about difficulty. I'm like, what? And then I see popular user-defined tags for this product. Card Battler? Difficult. I'm like, huh. And I start looking at the reviews, and I see... Uh, let's see. I see No Mercy. Quite punishing. Not appropriate for children. <laughs> if you enjoy calculating yeah. optimal outcomes of tactical combat, you're in for a unique treat. Otherwise, stay away. And then you said Dark Souls of Card Game, and I removed it from my wish list because I will never fucking enjoy this game. And I, I, you know, I don't know what to do about that, right? Because, like, I don't think that every game should cater to my sensibilities, right? It's cool to have a card game that is, um, that is hard. Like, people who like really being pushed to their limits deserve a, a card game like that. That's why, like, in Slay the Spire, you have the Ascension system. You get to decide exactly how hard you want it to be. So you can customize your experience. And Wild Frost is a game that, until it has an easy mode, unless you are a very specific type of person, I can't recommend it. And it's not because there aren't things about it that are good, because there's a lot about it that is good. It is just infuriating. You can do everything right and still lose because you faced the wrong boss and had a bad draw and there was nothing you could do. And that's just the game. And 
Some people love that. And some people, I'm sure, are like, well, I've played this game for 50 hours, and I know that you can do this instead. I don't care. I, I, I spent a lot of time on this. Um, I, I want to like it more than I do. I'm just, it, it tires me, Walter. It tires me. Well, Chase, I, I appreciate your honesty on the recommendation because you probably just saved me $20. Yeah, I, I certainly, I, I don't regret playing it because I think there is some stuff that I, I do enjoy and maybe one day I'll be itching for a challenge and I'll give it another shot, especially now that the, like, visibility thing is is in the game imagine a game with this difficulty that didn't tell you what was going to happen like fucking hell i don't know how you want without that um but yeah i you know i don't know we'll see what people think those of you listening let us know uh if you've played wild frost if you've played god of war we'd love to hear your thoughts but walter right now i'd love to hear your pluggables where can the nice people at home find you you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL on Twitter because you all still haven't decided what platform we're going to. And I don't think anyone ever will. I think everyone is going to go off into their separate corners. Hey, does anyone still use threads? Remember how like two weeks ago threads was all the rage and that I haven't heard a single lick about it ever since? God, this, oh my God, living in such a technological age is fucking depressing at times. Uh, as always, you can find the podcast at Rough Drafts Pod on Twitter as well. And you can listen uh, to the podcast on your podcast platform of choice, either on the independent feeds that is Final Cut and Steam Cleaners or on the combined Rough Drafts podcast feed. Next week, we are going to be talking about Barbie. Two weeks after that, we will be talking about Oppenheimer. And next, uh, next time on Steam Cleaners, I'm pretty sure Chase is going to talk about Dark Souls 2. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. I, I think I've been playing a lot of card games recently. I think it's time to pivot back to the only other genre I ever seem to play. Um, though perhaps I have a, a hybrid of things uh, coming if I have enough time to, to actually beat the thing that has been running in the background the most for me. Um, but for now, you can find me at Chase Watson on Twitter, as always. would love to hear your thoughts on things and, and what games you'd like us to play. If you think, based on this show, there's like a game that we should check out, I would love to uh, give a fan shout-out and, and try something like that. But for now, uh, all I can say is that we'll see you in two weeks. Goodbye, Internet.